you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast Streaming's comeback hit, Netflix flying higher once again today after hitting rock bottom last May. It is at a Wednesday Adams thing or Stranger thing or maybe a Meghan and Harry thing. Inside the rebound and the potential tech impact coming up. Plus, the chat GBT effect. Would a deal with Microsoft pose a real threat to search giants like Google? Why the world of open AI is so in focus right now. And later, Guy and Tim fire off their 2023 acronyms. Those pictures are from like 1990. Wow. Um, a musty combination of precious plays, a mile high pick, and a couple of hard. That was from our first hat hitters. Years yeah. I must be. I was a young man. We'll spell it all out straight ahead. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site in the heart of Times Square on the desk tonight. A full house. Tim Seymour, Karen Feiderman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. All right, we start off the, tonight with the big Netflix reboot. Shares of the streaming giant rallying nearly 4% today to post their highest close since last April. The stock has now more than doubled from its May lows and is the best-performing name in the Nasdaq 100 over the last six months. Media stocks, by the way, have been having a strong start to the year, too, with Warner Brothers' discovery up a whopping 30% in less than two weeks. But does Netflix's resurgence in particular set the stage for any sort of broader comeback for big tech? Should you ride this rally? Tim, you bought Netflix when it was close to its lows. Yeah, it wasn't that good. In fact, I, I bought it probably, <laughs> I don't know, within about 20 percent of its lows. And I watched it go down. Um, and there's nothing really that sneaky about this Netflix move. In fact, it's outperformed the triple Qs by almost 70 percent on a six-month basis. We kind of know what's been happening more broadly to triple Qs, which continue to make lower lows against the S&P. But in Netflix's case, uh, really a question about subgrowth. What could they do? You know, were they suddenly forced to, to move? Move into the basic with ads and then get into the password sharing uh, antidotes for slowing growth. Maybe uh, they've got earnings next Thursday. I think those are really key dynamics. But I also think you've gotten to a place where uh, I, I think media stocks overall, I think the streaming world has to prove profitable. And I think Netflix is as profitable as anybody. The key to Netflix really is three to four percent free cash flow growth over the next couple of years. This was something you wanted from this company. Their content continues to knock it out of the park. So I actually think while it's not cheap and it was uh, very attractive on valuation. Uh, you have to like the momentum here. Yeah, guy. You have to like the momentum, absolutely. But it's now rallied 100% from the lows. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a pretty significant move. And it was cheap 40% of the way up. Now it's starting to get expensive once again. It's probably north of 30 times next year's numbers, which leads to the like that. Into earnings, is it just yeah. time to start to pull the ripcord? Tim's right. The momentum is clearly behind. But I think if you've enjoyed this ride to the upside, you have to take profits in this name in earnings. I believe it's next week. There are already questions about subscriber growth and how they're going to miss those numbers. Barclays just out with a note today about that. Although, I mean, I guess the question, too, is should we focus on subscriber growth for a company like Netflix at this point? Because that implies that it's still a growth company. They don't want as opposed you to. to. Right. They well, certainly yeah. don't want to. They want, yeah. they that want doesn't to focus mean we shouldn't focus growth. on it. That's true. That's another true. Yeah, I would just say this. I mean, I, I think a theme over the next couple of weeks is going to be very clear is the higher that some of these stocks rally that got killed last year, rally into the results, I think the, the greater likelihood 
likelihood of a disappointment because investors tend to discount certain fundamental metrics when stocks are down 60, 70 percent or something in the sentiment's really bad. To Guy's point, up 100 percent in you know five or six months. Um, I think that now fu- fundamentals come back into focus, valuation comes back into focus, and especially again, you know, we've been talking about this, the back and forth. Is the Fed going to stop raising? Are they? Gonna, you know, every other day you hear that they are going to stay the course, and I think ultimately if the fundamentals are weak in some of these companies, and they guide that way for the next quarter or so, then with rates staying put, I think the valuation becomes back into focus. And I think some of these high growth names that are big moves off the lows, I think they probably get hit. Karen? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Guy, I think you had a 340 target was sort of where you Ish. thought it could ultimately get to. So I'm long, but this run is, it, first of all, it never should have been at 162, right? It was right. 16 times earnings for a company that absolutely deserves a premium multiple. It is a premium business. The balance sheet's in good shape. They are clearly the number one in streaming, even though there's questions about streaming in general. But this run, I think, is too far. I'm going to look to sell some upside calls. I don't love it when stocks run so hard into earnings, just like Dan's saying. The bar's higher now. I don't know what they need to say to really keep going from here. I would think it would be sort of ripe for a little bit of a come, a little bit to come back a little. I mean, we're going to want an update on how their ad-supported tier is doing, what right. the subscriber growth is there specifically, and whether or not they're capturing those people who are borrowing passwords. Borrowing. Or, or stealing Netflix, like, yeah. I or think, like is more accurate. It's so funny, <laughs> around, around the holiday time in my house, we, you know, my brothers were bragging how, dude, I've got your cable password, you know, <laughs> and, and it really tells you what's going on. And no shame in my house, but also I, I think the password sharing is a dynamic that's really going to help. People don't understand. To me, that's all gravy for Netflix, where I think the basic with ads, um, it's a little bit scary. People may be trading down, and, and I realize it, I do weird things with my cable bill. If I can save five bucks uh, and cut something, I do it, and whereas I, I waste money in ways you cannot imagine. Starbucks. On a day-to-day basis, yes, thank you. <laughs> you, you. You save $5 in your cable bill so that you can spend $7 in your Starbucks coffee. Yes, I, I mean, <laughs> Every I, day. I, I've just acknowledged it doesn't make sense, but I worry about basic with ads because I yeah. think some people may trade down. I, I agree in this environment. I, I think it's really interesting when you think about I, I could give you 20 stocks that have had moves like this, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent or something that actually were down 50, 60, 70 percent last year at some point. So they've rallied off the lows. And, and a lot of us remember 20 years ago, this was the action that we saw in 2001, 2002 for a lot of bombed out names. And I think it's really important to remember that like some of these names structurally will make it out of this cycle. A lot may not. Like, like I'm looking at like a Roku. Roku is up, you know, 15, 16% of the year. It's up a lot more than that off of its lows. It's still down, you know, 70% from its all time. It's never going back there, people. So you can have There's fun. no need for Roku. Well, that's what I'm saying. But you can have fun with a bunch of these stocks and you can trade them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Lyft is up 20% or something since Jack came on um, and recommended it as final trade or something like that. I mean, they're great trading vehicles right now, but I don't think the price acts and the valuations are going to kind of match up a little bit. Um, you know, it's going to take a lot longer here. So when you say it got destroyed last year, it didn't deserve to be at 162. It actually did deserve to be at 162 because it didn't deserve to be at 700. You know what I mean? The way it right. had doubled and then doubled again over the prior 18 months. So that's how you kind of cure some of the ills of these sorts of over exuberance periods. But I guess that raises the question, you know, for other stocks where we would say, did it ever deserve to be here? And they've run since. What do you yes. do? And a meta right. comes to mind, for instance. Right. Well, never. I think it never deserved to be south of 90. Mm-hmm. Does it deserve to be here? Here, I think, is cheap as well. Um, but we'll have to see. I mean, this one, I think, 
I think what they have to say in earnings this is very important. The direction of the spend is very important. So unlike Netflix, which is in the middle of a change that's going to take some time, I think Netflix... What? Isn't it the same? They're what do you the, mean? Meta is sort of in the middle of a change. It's going to take some time. But they can make a massive psychological shift quickly and uh-huh. say, we uh-huh. are not going to focus as much on spending. And I think that would have a dramatic effect. Right. But one thing we, we talked to, or I don't know, like whoever the voiceover is, talked about uh, Warner Brothers up. Was that you? That's me. That was you. Okay. Whatever that voiceover Up 30 percent. But think about this. I thought it was whoever that speaker is for CNBC, the voiceover person. But it was you. Um, Was up 30 percent. But the enterprise value has gone from 80 billion to 83 billion. I mean, this is a super levered one. Mm -hmm. This is something that could could be up another 20 percent easy. Yeah. The the thing about. Meta and the thing about Netflix is they are clear leaders in terms of their subscriber base in their respective fields. And, and, and Netflix is going to probably be 280 or 90 million subs by 2026, 27. And, and, and we know, I, I don't know, what are the numbers on, on Meta? 1.4, 1.5 billion in terms of core, but over two point. I mean, it, it's, it's massive in terms of their base. And this is the thing that's interesting, that the market isn't rewarding their ability to be so dominant in their respective spaces. And, and Netflix is coming off a, a, of, a, of a fall where they had five of their best releases of all times. They've got a pretty good cycle. I know that Onion thing is what Guy's been huh? watching that. That Sweet Onion. I don't know. What's it called? Glass Onion. Glass, glass Onion. I don't know. Glass Onion. Yeah. Yeah, sweet Which was actually an excellent movie. We did watch it over the holidays. It was fantastic. I enjoyed it a great deal. See? Uh, I will tell you that Kate Hudson made her theatrical comeback in that movie, Tim, just for just a I didn't know we had lost her. Well, for a while we did. <laughs> for what it's worth. Listen, Tim I, talks about being tactical all the time. Netflix is now you have to start being tactical in earnings. So, again, if you've enjoyed this run, it makes all the sense to take money off the table here and look for a pullback. If you start doing the math, the, pull, the logical pullback is probably somewhere around 265 to 270. And we've seen Netflix have moves like that before. Takes nothing away from management, takes nothing sure. away from the company. It's just run too much too right. fast. And you're to date, a lot of these have run. We just put up a bunch of big cap tech stocks that have had nice runs since the beginning of this year into earnings. And so whether or not you believe this is where they should be valued, they're fairly valued, they've been up 10 percent going into earnings. So how do you, I mean, the positioning seems a little bit precarious there. Yeah, I think that it, it actually, some of those names are really hard because they really are. A guy said, you know, on many occasions last year that a lot of Meta's problems were Meta's problems, mm-hmm. right? There were things that they were doing, like you're just talking about the spending. But then when you think about semis, a, a group that, that Tim talks about an awful lot, look at Intel and Micron. They're up, you know, 11, 12% or something after getting absolutely destroyed next year. When you can kind of focus on cheap stocks that, uh, you know, Intel has obviously mis-executed, but like when there's certain secular shifts going on, but there's also cyclical implications near term about some of this stuff. I mean, those are some areas that I would focus on. And I think the semi-move this year is really interesting because they will be early cycle and they will have secular tailwinds at some point. You know, I don't know about some of these web names that, again, they're losing money. They have high valuations. They have a lot of competition. The the, the period of euphoria is over. And to me, those are just kind of less interesting at this point. Well, and we're not going to have a chart on the show tonight. So I'll just point out that the difference between the semis and the triple Qs, so SMH versus triple Q, triple Qs continue to make lower lows. So mega cap tech technology is making lower lows against the broader market. And, and as much as we've had a couple of periods where it's looked like it's break, lower lows since uh, November 30th of 2021. If you look at the semis, they're actually up above their 200 or fighting through it. They've actually outperformed. They've certainly outperformed the triple Qs. I just don't know if it's too early, but I, I agree. I, I, you know, they behave differently. And as we say, you can buy semis six to nine months into 
that point where you think the cycle has turned. We've certainly gotten through a lot of the inventory dynamics. There are things that make semis why they should trade differently. They've kind of held serve since a, a, an almost 40 percent rally uh, from that CPI October 13 low. All right. Our next guest warns the recent market gains signal a disconnect on Wall Street. Mike Wilson is Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist and CIO. Mike, great to have you with us. Thanks, Melissa. Good to see you. So everybody thinks the first half of the year is going to be terrible and the second half is going to be much better. Um, But you say that maybe people aren't anticipating how bad things could get in the first half. We're, We're just about to embark on earnings season. So is that going to be sort of the rude awakening in terms of really, truly setting the bar lower for earnings estimates? Yeah, look, obviously, we don't know exactly how it's going to play out. But the reason we asked that question in this week's notice, because that's how we're set up, too. I mean, we've been talking about kind of a softer first half led by growth disappointment and, you know, a Fed that's still fighting inflation. And then hopefully that will lead to, you know, the next bull market. Ultimately, that could be a pretty good second half. But, you know, we're all kind of creatures of uh, checking our own, you know, uh, calls. And uh, I just, you know, wanted to kind of be sure that we weren't part of the consensus that would get fooled. And so we, we just asked the question, like, well, what could go wrong with that? And I think one way that could go wrong is when we actually talk to people, they talk, they talk a bearish game about the first half, but they're not really either positioned for it or they don't really think that it's going to be that bad. Um, even though a lot, I would say a majority of institutional clients think we're probably going to be in a recession, they don't seem to be afraid of it. And that's just a big disconnect in my view. Now, there's also a chance we could avoid a recession and maybe the recession or slowdown gets pushed out to the second half. That's the other way we could be wrong. But the one thing that we feel confident about, Melissa, in our work is that we do think the earnings are too high. Um, we think that's another area that investors are being a little bit complacent. And we do think that this earnings season will be the beginning of the reset on 2023, uh, which is really what's going to drive stocks. The full year estimates have to come down. Hi, Mike. It's Karen. Thanks for coming on. Does your work have it? Is it predicated on the Fed staying where it is? Is that why you think it's going to be problematic? Or what do you think happens with the Fed this year? Yeah, I mean, our call is predicated mostly on earnings and the fact that the Fed probably isn't going to be as reactive to a slowdown as they have been historically. They've already proven that, right? Normally, when you see the data that we've seen, the Fed would have already been cutting rates. But of course, they can't do that with inflation where it is. That's a that's a change from prior cycles. We think that stays the course, meaning they're not going to be able to be slashing rates into a growth slowdown. And, and But the real driver of our call is that we think negative operating leverage is really starting to flow through to the income statement from the balance sheet. And this is, I think, a very underappreciated development during COVID. We over-earned during the pandemic because there was positive operating leverage. Inflation was increasing and costs weren't increasing as much. And now we have the exact opposite, right? Costs are increasing faster than end revenues. And that negative operating leverage has to play through. And we think people are going to be surprised at just how dramatic the earnings cuts are. Mike, it's Tim. Do you care at all about the dollar? Should we even be talking about it when there's such bigger issues out there? But, the, you know, the FX headwind and the translation of that, certainly for 3Q, was difficult. And, and I expect, if anything, for example, we were just talking about Netflix. Netflix is going to have something good to say about the dollar uh, as a tailwind. Do you even care about this? Because on some level, I don't care about it. Uh, when people talk about FX and currency neutral, the bigger issues are the ones you're talking about. But it could make this earnings season better. Yeah, no, I think the, the dollar was a bigger deal in the third quarter, and we saw that play through the big bank stocks. That was one of the big headwinds, and that's why those stocks really underperformed, one of the reasons. And, and look, the dollar has come up. It's high. We think the dollar will be weaker over the course of the year as the Fed does eventually pivot, and there's better growth outside the U.S. potentially. Um, that's, that's really an important story for the eventual recovery, meaning 
eventually we do think there will be another bull market and a reacceleration in growth in the second half. And, and, and part of that story, Tim, is a weaker U.S. dollar. If we don't get a weaker U.S. dollar, then that recovery will be much less exciting. Mike, in terms of uh, the call for as low as 3,000 in the first quarter of this year, how do you think about the lag effect of, of the Fed's policies? Um, do you think 3,000 will be the low for the year, or do you not, do you, do you not take that off the table because per- perhaps the lag effect could hit the economy and hit companies very hard somewhere in the back half? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, obviously, bear markets are all about time and price. So we've been in this now for just over a year. Um, most you know, bear markets, severe ones like we're in, last about 15 months or so. So I'm hoping that we can, you know, the 3,000 number or something like that, 3,000, 3,200, something like that, will price ultimately the damage that we foresee from all of these factors, pull forward in demand, the negative operating leverage, the, the impact of the Fed raising rates. And I'm hoping that the market can price that relatively quickly sometime in the first three or four months of the year. That's that's the hope, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, that's that, that was not a consensus call six months ago. It's kind of a mm-hmm. consensus call now, but I think the magnitude of what we're seeing is more dramatic. Mike, great to speak with you. Thank you, as always. Great to see you. Thanks. Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley. All right, as low as 3,000 in the first four months. How do you feel about that? October 14th was a Friday. Mike Wilson tactically went bullish, having been bearish for a while, said he could see an 18% rally to the penny, as Carter said. That's what you got. So I think you discount what he says to your peril. And I think you know I happen to agree with him. I don't know about 3,000, but we've been in the 3,400 camp for a while. And the overshoot probably gets you there. But everything he said to me is spot on. People don't want to hear it. I get it. But it's factually correct. Yeah, so Mike came on our show, um, what, a couple weeks ago, and he was mm-hmm. saying that his kind of base case for two, uh, 2023 earnings is going to be about a 195. Bear case would be 180. We have consensus that's still up there, I think close to 220 or something like that. So we still need those S&P earnings to come down, even if you were to put a 17 multiple. And you guys might say, that's really generous. On 200, that gets you to 3,400. That was the pre-pandemic high in February of 2020. So the base case scenario probably gets you you if earnings do come down in a meaningful way over the next few months, gets you down to 3,400. And if you want to put a lower multiple on that, where we trough in 13. the 13. Listen, I, I mean, you know, the, who Tepper said that on the network on Tepper, Tepper, Tepper mentioned like that, that it would trough like at 11 yeah. at one point. Yeah. He was not suggesting we're going there, but right. he threw those numbers out. Yeah. The math certainly is compelling to the downside, especially when we, we just haven't had this kind of, of an earnings downgrade. But, you know, look, we the next couple quarters are, are really critical to forming that. And, and so the other dynamic that I don't believe that rates are necessarily done here moving higher on the long end, that which we use to value equities, at least in terms of a discount rate. I don't know that they have to go a whole lot higher, but and I just look at that the 10 years actually been defending um, that uptrend that goes all the way back to uh, kind of the early part of the year. But I, I, I look at where um, the banks have performed in this environment. I'll just say this, and obviously this is a, kind of a strange time for banks who've rallied very hard into earnings. This is a case where um, I actually think, you know, banks have totally outperformed the rest of the market here. Coming up, 15-year, 30-year, how about neither? The mortgage uh, moves out of Wells Fargo. That could be a warning sign for the housing market. we got the details next. And FedEx saying goodbye to its Sunday finest. But will it help the stock start delivering once again? We'll find out when Fast Money returns. Back in two. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. 
For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wells Fargo, once the top mortgage lender, is reducing exposure to the housing industry, according to new reporting from CNBC's Hugh Son. The company limiting home loans to existing customers in underserved minority communities, also shrinking its mortgage servicing portfolio and making more job cuts within the division. Karen, is this a big deal? I don't think it is a big deal. I feel like this has been happening in slow motion at Wells mm-hmm. Fargo for quite some time. We all know there's been a slowdown, which has been manufactured by the Fed, which they said is, you know, acceptable collateral to damage, rather, um, because they need to cool inflation. So I don't think this changes the Wells Fargo story. They can also buy loans if they want to keep them on, buy mortgages to keep them on the balance sheets. And mortgage servicing, if rates um, go down, that then mortgage servicing rights value will go down as well. Maybe this is just a symbol of what is going on, uh, you know, in terms of the housing market overall and in terms of people wanting to take out mortgages, take take out loans. Doesn't move the needle. I agree. We're going to learn a lot more. We're years into the very specific Wells Fargo problems, many years into it. I would submit they're still trying to come out from under there. With that said, you know, Karen had an unbelievable call in the stock. You go back to, I think, 2020 when it was a teenager you said you were foring into Wells Fargo. That proved to be extraordinarily prescient. Question now is, is the run and over, and is it now expensive enough or at least on par with some of the more expensive names? Yeah. I, I think you sell Wells into earnings. I mean, not to make this a game. Oh, not, of, but, of what? but if we did, here we go. Would you, would you rather Wells Fargo or, you know, a Bank of America, for instance, at this point? Well, I, I would probably rather BAC. I'm long yeah. BAC. I'm not yeah. long Wells Fargo. But when I when I hear that statement, I hear it as a risk management statement. And, and I, I don't think there's anything good about it in terms of in terms of economic when you growth. hear that they're pairing back on the mortgage. Yeah, I yeah. mean, look, they said existing customers. What does that tell me? It tells me that they're also they don't want to evaluate new risk. These are people that right. these relationships they have. Uh, and if you look at commercial uh, and industrial loan growth, that was one of the things that really was an exciting change in the banking business in the last 18 months, something that really you can make an argument going all the way back to the financial crisis. So if banks start reeling in credit, it's not good for the economy. It's certainly not good for the That's consumer. exactly what Jerome Powell wants. Yeah. 
Listen, you know, I, we talked about it, I think, yesterday. I mean, we have a battle here. You know, I'm not going to play your game, but it really is. It's Jamie Dimon <laughs> versus Moynihan at Bank America. And then the signaling. Well, you wanted to do the, the bank versus the nice. Wells. I know, but, yeah. but like that to me is the story of the first half of this year and the sort of trends that we're going to see and, and what that means for consumers and access to credit and that sort of thing. And a lot of these guys feel like the consumer's still in a pretty good spot. But, yeah. you know, I just have a chart here of mortgage originations. They were in this really tight thing for like 10 years in the lead up to 2020 and what happened we had the like everything went haywire and they doubled and now they've come all the way back here so if you're wells fargo why wouldn't you be retrenching in these right. areas especially at a time when you are concerned about consumer credit but back to the consumer and the consumer theoretically is still pretty good even though wage growth has slowed at this point the wage gains have been made still by the consumer inflation is in fact coming down many consumers are still employed all good things, without All great question. Things. Of course, now consumer credit north of $5 trillion, a record number. Credit card debt north of a trillion dollars, a record number. So that's the counter argument to the consumers in great shape. I get it. Consumer, say it all the time. As long as things are sort of going along, everything's fine. The consumer will spend money. You get some hiccup and people watch on the evening news yeah. that the Dow Jones is down 800 points over a couple days. Then they start saying, should I be buying that Starbucks that Tim has absolutely no problem buying? But it seems to be focused on his $5 ESPN per month thing for whatever reason. Well, at least you like the games we play on the show. Right? Games people play, games Tim. people play uh, the spinners? No, no. Who was that's, it? That's, forget it. What? I think, no, it's a band. It's a yeah. song, Mel. And, and I, I think it might have been. Anyway. We'll do it we in a break. We discuss that during the break. A lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Sunday morning brings the, never mind, FedEx pairing back deliveries as e-commerce falters. More on the transport trimming next. Plus, Microsoft's artificial initiative. What a possible AI deal could mean for the company. The details ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. FedEx finishing in the red today after the company said it would further slash Sunday deliveries. Coverage will reportedly be cut to about 50 percent of Americans, mostly in high density areas. The move part of a three point seven billion dollar cost cutting strategy. FedEx CEO calling it an e-commerce reset. Um, so what does this mean for what does this mean about e the e-commerce business? Is this a FedEx specific thing, Karen. What do you think? Well, it's both specific to FedEx, but it's broader than that. They spend yeah. so much money gearing up for this, but they talked about keeping high density, which is good. That's a lot. It's a lot more profitable to do that. It's really expensive to do the outer less, mm -hmm. right? So this, I, I think this actually makes sense for them. And then we saw the read through to UPS today. If to the extent that it's an e-commerce slowdown, that would affect UPS as well. Yeah, Tim. 
It's always a FedEx problem, I think, because <laughs> the cyclicality of the stock is something we, we understand. And, and I, I think it's it, it will have that moment where it's a great company. That last round of earnings, there was a lot of upgrades. I know Jim Cramer got very excited, and I think there's probably a reason to be excited. I still think that there's a case where you've got uh, uh, something to prove here if you're FedEx. And I think they've got a couple quarters to prove it in the face of, let's not forget, that announcement doesn't say great things about their business. Their pricing power, they were able to pass on prices after UPS did in a big way. I'm not so sure they're going to have the same pricing power the next time they need to do this. A couple things. 205 is a level that we cratered from in September. So it stands to reason that we go back and take a look at that. And I have a delivery to make, if you indulge me for a second. <laughs> a delivery. I would like to deliver an apology to Tim Seymour. <laughs> the spinners are, in fact, the group that's saying games people play on live TV. I, I shot him down, but Tim proved to be Music correct. trivia. If we played that on this game, it might be a game I could win. Yeah. Just saying. Um, well, one thing, I, I broaden this out a little bit to retailers, too. When you think about a lot of the inventory problems that they've had, and we've seen this over the course of the last year. I mean, this kind of return situation that has become very expensive, too. So it may be behavior by a lot of retailers. And, um, you know, it's fine. Ship all the packages to Karen here in New York City. It's very dense. You know what I mean? But they're not going to be doing the, re, you know, the returns and all that sort of stuff. It just makes sense that UPS and FedEx would have to cut back on that. The too. returns things that always, you know, as a consumer, you are trained to not pay for shipping and not pay for returns. It's like I want something to come here immediately for free and then I want to be able to send it back for free as well. And you would think that that has got to change. And, and part of this FedEx announcement is it, things are changing. Right. You can't afford to do that anymore. Yeah, and you think about, what, so Amazon likes to farm out that last right. mile of mm-hmm. not profitable. I don't know if, what the read through would be to Amazon there. But also Amazon also said, if you want to send it back, you know what, we'll just, we'll credit you. Right. We don't want we'll to deal with it. Yeah, Target's doing that too. Yeah. It's yeah. cheaper to do. Yeah. Coming up, AI idea. initiative. The guy's <laughs> laughing. What? No, because... There was a time when you, no, I know we got to do a commercial, yeah, yeah. but you'd go to a store, you try on a pair of shoes. If they fit, you'd take them home. Now you order them on, you order three right. pairs online. They right. come to your house. and you, It could be it's three ma- the different sizes, the same shoe. I don't do that. Maybe no. the rest of the United States should stop doing that. Maybe we get some of these trucks off the road, Melms, and maybe there wouldn't be mind-numbing you traffic. Work for UPS. I did. I feel like we should have, like, a, the more you know. Oh, well, there you go. Coming up, AI initiative, the potential deal Microsoft is cooking up that could be a major move in the artificial intelligence space. More on that next. And we've got more New Year acronyms from our traders. The names they are betting on for 2023 will lay them out when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on markets today. Stocks closing near their highs of the day. The Dow jumping nearly 200 points. The S&P up seven-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq notching a three-day winning streak, up more than one percent. The only negative sector in today's session, Staples. The XLP down a tenth of a percent. And Boeing, the worst-performing Dow stock, down nearly one percent after the plane maker announced deliveries and a jump in orders for 2022. Morgan Stanley also downgrading the stock this morning. Boeing still the best-performing Dow stock over the past month. Well, Microsoft is reportedly planning to invest an additional $10 billion into OpenAI, the startup behind the chat GPT tool that's taken the world by storm. Could a deal help the tech giant bite into Google's dominance in search? Let's bring in Brent Thill of Jefferies. Brent, great to have you with us. Um, How strategic is this in your view? We think it's really strategic long term, short term Obviously, there's still some kinks in the system. If you ask ChatGPT, who the CEO of Twitter was last week, it said Jack Dorsey. And obviously, it's Elon Musk. If you ask the system who world who won the World Cup, it says my database is limited uh, to two, back to 2021. So 
obviously, uh, there's incredible amount of promise, but today in terms of real time, it's not there. We think over time with the help of Microsoft and ChatGPT, this could be really revolutionary. We believe in AI infused apps and infrastructure, not AI on its own. So if you envision a world where you open up PowerPoint, say, for the Fast Money team, write uh, an update on the, the market, uh, what's happened so far in 23. You go into PowerPoint, put a, a family in front of a mountain with a ski resort in the back, uh, simple things like that. You can ask the system to help self-populate these applications. Outlook, respond to an email uh, you know, with, 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 uh, with this simple term. So we think ultimately, if you think about what they could do, they can fuse it with their applications, uh, their AI technology inside these apps. Uh, you look at Azure, which is the backend infrastructure running, that's a huge opportunity as well. Um, so Microsoft's not alone. Adobe has a product called Sensei. Uh, you have uh, Salesforce.com, which has Einstein. Others are, are trying to embark upon this, but clearly this is really exciting. I don't think it has an impact short term for Google. Long term, we'll see. Uh, but no one's going to use this for looking for a coffee shop or near term, uh, you know, Warriors tickets or concerts in the short term. Long term, we'll see. And I think, again, it's super promising. So we, we think we have a, a early view where it can be, uh, again, very impactful across the Microsoft suite. Again, I'm talking from a financial analyst perspective. I'm not a product manager, but I've come up with like 20 different examples of how I think they can use it. Whether they put that into practice or not, I don't know. But mm -hmm. I think there's a very clear roadmap that, that we see that can be really exciting right. for Microsoft. Hey, Brent, from a financial standpoint, let's call it intermediate term. Do you think that, that Microsoft would have the best success disrupting Google search? Or do you think that long term, because of Microsoft's, um, you know, their lead that they have in productivity tools, will it be integrating that with, you know, Outlook and, and 365 and that sort of thing? Where, where, where would you, if you're looking five years out, expect Microsoft to get the biggest financial benefit? I think in productivity and AI-infused apps and infrastructure, personally, I think taking Google on is not a good endeavor. I wouldn't want to try uh, try that. It's like trying to uh, shoot three pointers against Steph Curry. Not going to happen. So my my view would be stick with what you're good at. And Microsoft has done this in the past, where they wander. They got Nokia. They went into all these other areas that they shouldn't have gone. Stay true to what you are. Enterprise software at the core. Yes, is there some help that this could could help with Bing? Is there some other consumer apps they could build, perhaps? But I think the the challenge again, I've covered Microsoft over twenty years. Used to be a Microsoft developer. The challenge that they have is when they get outside their core lane, they screw it up. And so I think this is in their core lane of helping with productivity. Uh, again, there's a call option, and I may be totally wrong, but there's definitely no doubt a call option to to help uh, make broader search better. But if you look at today. You can't find things in Microsoft Outlook. We use Outlook as a firm and try to search an email. And then you go to Gmail and your personal account and you can find things inside Gmail a lot faster. So it just comes back to basic things that mm -hmm. they can use uh, to help uh, make these applications smarter. Brian, thanks. Appreciate it. Brent Thill. Thank you. By the way, we asked ChatGPT, can Microsoft beat Google? For fun, because why mm -hmm. not, right? This yeah. is this is what ChatGPT um, responded with. It's possible by investing in OpenAI, Microsoft would have access to this cutting-edge technology and could potentially use it to improve its search features. 
Dude, that's Canada. exactly what Brent just said. <laughs> you remember Watson? Oh, maybe ChatGPT will replace financial oh, <laughs> Do you remember Watson, though? Wasn't yeah. it, that was like going to be the AI thing? It was going to be transformative for maybe it was IBM before it's before, before it was. It was. It may be right. Yeah. Timing is everything. Well, it, so we're talking long term. How about in the short term? Microsoft reports in two weeks. And yeah. what I want to hear about is really where there's margin pressure in, in this cloud business that they really have, have. It's been their golden goose. And it's been certainly the cash cow for them right here and now. I just think it's become so competitive in this space. I think we may start to hear about some of that. It's interesting. Dan brought this up last night. Jim Cramer this morning on Squawk on the Street. Wonderful Fine show. program. Fine program, nine, nine to ten, I believe. And Jim said for the first time in a long time, he sold Microsoft in his charitable trust because of the interview that Dan cited CNBC Asia, I believe, Satya Nadella in yeah. India. And he talked about things that were somewhat dramatic for the, for the short-term forecast of his company. Now, it's a more reasonable valuation now, 22 times next year's numbers. But you've got to believe there's going to be a demand issue for Microsoft, given everything we've heard from some of these other companies. Yeah. Coming up, we're getting ready to reveal more acronyms. Guy and Tim on deck to spell out their 2023 strategies. Are the other traders buying into their picks? You won't want to miss this one. Plus, one retailer going to bonkers today. Mm. Going bonkers today, I think is what I'm supposed to say. What's behind this move and where is it going now? We'll dive into the options pitch for a look at what is ahead. Stick around. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another day, another acronym. Tonight, Guy and Tim will spell out why they think gold will glitter in 2023. Tim, hold your horses. Guy's going to mm. kick us off first. Oh, okay. Billy Bob Thornton, a mm. huge fan of Fast Money, yes. as you know. One Watches of, every night. He was in the movie Friday Night Lights, and the team that he coached was the mojo. And it got me thinking, you know, I lost my mojo with the dawn. dawn. I, it was yeah. a tragedy. <laughs> so I'm looking to get it back in the form of these four things. <laughs> The M in my mojo. It's metals, Mel. Gold and silver, there's something going on in the gold market. I think I understand central banks buying it in record amounts. I think silver has a run it as well. Metals is my M. The O, OIH, look at where that sucker closed today. Despite the fact that crude can't get out of its own way, all these oil services names are still cheap in terms of valuation. I think they go higher this year. The J, it was a battle of the Johnsons. <laughs> nice. Johnson and Johnson, of course, I mean, J&J, but Johnson controls sustainability in terms of autonomous buildings and stuff. That's going to be a bit of a buzzword, sustainability this year. JCI at the forefront, trades in a market multiple. I think that goes higher. And of course, the other O, you got to give a shout out to Warren Buffett, who is also watching. How you doing, WB? Occidental Petroleum has been buying that hand over fist. They've been retiring debt at a record number. They're also buying back stock. Their balance sheet is excellent right now. Energy works, oxy works in that space. Mojo. So when I saw Mojo, I actually said Johnson Controls, not mm-hmm. Johnson and Johnson. There you go. You that did. was that you're was, in his head. I, I said that to you in the. Shocking. So why, how did you decide not Johnson and Johnson? Well, I, I was weighing the two, and Johnson and Johnson has had a huge run. It's a great company. You can start to get a little concerned on valuation. Johnson Controls, on the other hand, has sold off pretty significantly from the all-time high. I believe it saw in December of last year. So this was more a valuation thing, and. You know, Steve Grasso last night was talking about sustainability. I almost fell off my chair. Got me thinking. You know, the whole mojo thing is coming. It's all full cycle here. Isn't Johnson & Johnson the Battle of the Johnsons? <laughs> I just, I'm just. <laughs> Sorry. 
just asking a good question. Well, there's a great story about that in, in CNBC lore. We'll share it at another okay. time. That's a whole other show. Yeah. Uh, um, time for Tim's acronym for 2023. Tim. Yeah, my acronym is LAGS. And by the way, it's likely to lag my acronym from last year, which happened to have done really well. I'm going to I'm going to to my own horn there, but lags. These are these are essentially companies that I think for various reasons were never participating in a post-pandemic rally. And, and I'll start this with my L, uh, Lyft. I, I recognize Lyft has substantial problems, but this is a company that pre-pandemic had substantial problems. And I realize we, we, we certainly value companies differently today than we do. I still think they get to a billion in EBITDA by 24. I think they, the driver issues, and I've said this before about Lyft, it's an idiosyncratic story in the middle of a recession. Their problems are not the economy. Okay, their problems have been their own and some of the dynamics around the regulatory environment. The A is the A in airlines. And what we've heard, especially from Delta, is probably how I'm playing. And I'm certainly long. I'm long Lyft, by the way. I'm long Delta. Uh, and I think if you listen to the airlines, especially the ones that actually have balance sheets, uh, they're telling you and they're talking about profitability levels that are at pre-pandemic levels. We're getting that transcontinental back. We're getting a story back. I don't think that Delta is going to run away with it here, but it never got that reopening trade. The G is certainly uh, gold and gold really lasts in a world where there was a time, especially when inflation was in your face, hey, why isn't gold rallying? Karen says this all the time. There are reasons why every day you could come in and say gold is a reason to own it for this reason and this reason. All the reasons why you might have wanted to old own gold didn't work, except for the fact that now a dollar that's peaked, inflation that's peaked, and stagflation is every reason to buy gold. And S is finally uh, S&P Global. I think their recent investor day, until then, people really didn't know what to do with it. I think the story has been kind of lagging the fundamentals. And if you look at their, their info deal, I think it's a very important deal if, if you look at the margin accretion. And I also think that in this environment, they will actually perform in a difficult market environment. So again, lags companies that have not done what we think they should have or the cycle has not allowed them to rally yet. They've lagged. By the way, mm. Tim's acronym for 2022 performed very well. Good for him. Live, mm. right? Las Vegas Sands, internet, which was Chinese internet. Which was down, but, but and so it was, it was K-Web, which was right. down 15%, but uh, V was volatility, which right. was up 35%. Then, but E and was energy. E was energy, Ooh. and that was up 60%. Las Vegas was up. Eh, look at that. Hey, the live trade. Nice. The live trade. Is but I'm a humble man. I wouldn't trade. talk about these things. <laughs> no, of course myself. you wouldn't. Yeah, of course. We could talk a little. We have time. S&P Global, <laughs> though, that's an interesting one. We hardly ever yeah. talk about that name on the show. I think the general once yeah, pitched general it as a fast Mills. pitch. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's an organic growth story that, that really within a, a multiple that makes sense for this market, not yesterday's. Right. Coming up, investors adding Bed Bath & Beyond to their carts today. Shares flying higher as earnings disappoint. Have the meme traders taken hold once again? We've got more on this trade next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bed Bath & Beyond surging higher today as traders shrug off the meme stock's dreadful quarterly results. The retailer posted wider-than-expected losses before the belt today. Revenue also coming in light. Bed Bath also reportedly hiring a new restructuring advisor as it prepares for a potential bankruptcy filing. The company starting a new round of layoffs as it seeks to cut costs. Karen. Yes. a little bit of time here. It's, well, so the, the one thing we can look for in the short term to give us some clue, are they going to file or not? They have three tranches of debt who have interest payments due on February 1st. So we'll know. If they pay them, they'll have some more time. If they don't, they probably have a little bit of grace period, 20, 30 days, I'm not sure which. But if they don't, they're highly likely to file. So February 1st, date to watch. 
and yet it's up 28 um, percent. What are the, what do options traders say? Um, They're betting this latest round of layoffs is a step in the right direction. Mike Coe has the action. Mike, what would you see? Uh, yeah, we saw more than three times the average daily options volume today. Most of it is actually looking at dates much nearer dated than those debt payments that Karen was just referring to. The most active contracts today were the two strike calls that expire at the end of this week. Nearly 39,000 of those traded for an average of 26 cents a contract. Some of those actually traded as little as 17 cents before the stock saw that rally. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that there's still at least another 10 percent of upside by the end of this week. Another 10 percent. Do you see anything longer, Mike, out into February? Yeah, I mean, this, this was in contract quantity terms. This was actually mm-hmm. the fifth busiest single stock option. Of course, it's a two dollar stock. So that doesn't you know, comparing this to, say, Meta or or something like that isn't isn't apples to apples. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of flow basically all the way out. Um, and, you know, they're really paying up for this, of course, because they're spending, in this case, more than 10 percent of the strike. And that's just for the options that expire at the end of this week, the longer dated ones costing even more than that. Uh, at this point, I think the stock itself is an option. So, you know, I think uh, it's kind of a coin flip here. But I think Mike, it's better to wait until February 1st. <laughs> Mike, it's Karen. Let me ask you, the huge short interest here, 33 percent. Is the stock even borrowable? I mean, it seems so ripe for just a squeeze, forgetting the valuation just on the, techni- the technical. Yeah, the that's, that's a great point. And a lot of times what you see on the option side is exactly that. So, you know, people can use options to get synthetically short by going out and buying puts. Those are even pricier because uh, borrowing the stock, obviously, at this point is uh, more of a challenge. All right. Uh, Mike, thank you. Mike Coe with the action on BBBY. It is amazing what people think will happen with BBBY and why the stock would be up 28% after that earnings report. Well, again, though, the, the short squeeze is the one Karen referenced. Yeah, I mean, you were, right. you were at a six-buck stock that spiked up to 30 in the last month you know, or, or two months. So um, there's different news flow. This has been a, a slow train wreck going back to even 2020, though. And, and so cutting costs is not the answer. Yeah. Uh, for more options action, tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, we've got Final Trades. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Uh, the Johnson and Johnson trade. <laughs> uh, the Brothers Johnson, by the way, were a great band from the 70s. We've done the spinners tonight. You should listen yeah. to the Strawberry Letter 23. J&J, to me, you get farmer, you get consumer products. Uh, you, you essentially have uh, the consumer business and a very defensive pharma pipeline, I think, at a time when it's going to be tough to, to, to find this kind of value in 2023. Karen, fine. Yeah. You know where there's not value, Bed Bath & Beyond Equity. However, all that being said, I would not short it because of this squeeze issue, even though I think high likelihood bankruptcy goes to zero, don't short bank BBY. Yeah, Nathan. Mm, we used to call it Johnny John. Yeah. Johnny John. Johnny John. Johnny John. Johnny John. You could still, you could still Wait, if you like. Like a long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a long time. Uh, FXI, I think it's long in the tooth. that would be a seller here. I'm long puts. After the show last night, Mel turned to me and said, Georgia's going to put up a 50 spot on TCU. She, knew it. she was wrong. You're I, I mean, in your basement. How did I turn to you? I mean, it's, it's incredible. What people don't realize about you is your knowledge about sports is unbelievable. Valero into earnings on the 26th. Look at what that stock did today there, folks. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 